Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Faith, come up here, walked up here, looked at the flowers, and smelled them. <laughs> I don't know if she's trying to see if they're real or not, but uh, Faith, stop and smell the roses. That's right. So next time you hear that phrase, we'll think of Faith, okay? Thank you so much for leading in worship today. And uh, so tonight is our annual congregational meeting, as Kevin mentioned, and everybody's invited uh, when it comes to vote on the elders and the nominating committee members vote. But we encourage everybody to come who's interested at all in the ministry of Brian Bible Church. And tonight, uh, after the meeting, we will have uh, light refreshments over here. And then also we are going to um, take a uh, short guided tour. Uh, Craig, still good, right? Yes, and we worked on it yesterday. I did a little sweeping myself yesterday to clean it up. So if you'd like to take a short, uh, just guided tour of the remodel main area so you can kind of get a feel for what's going to look like, we're going to let you do that. And we'll have some uh, marking pens. And if you'd like to write uh, the reference to your favorite verse or just a phrase from Scripture or a greeting to our workers, you may do so on the bare wood, okay, uh, that's going to be covered up eventually. And so your mark will be there forever. How's that? All right. Well, at least until the Lord comes or the church disappears, one of the two. Okay? So that's tonight, 6 o'clock. We invite everybody to come and share with us. Earlier we read the 23rd Psalm. And if you notice in your Bibles, when you read the Psalms, oftentimes, for example, you will see what in our Bible is sort of a heading Mine says, a psalm of David. Uh, I look down to Psalm 25. A plea for defense, guidance, and pardon of David. To you, O Lord, I lift my head. Psalm 30. A psalm, a song for the dedication of temple of David. I will exalt you, O Lord. And in our, in our English Bibles, those are not part of the first verse. They are part of like a heading. Whoops. But in the Hebrew Bible, if you were to read the Hebrew Bible and, and to read uh, one of those psalms, you will find that those headings are actually part of the text. Uh, psalm, psalm 30, Mitzmor, Shari, Hanakaf, Habaith, La David. You look at your Psalm 30 here, a psalm, a song for the dedication of the temple of David, of David. That's, that's the first verse. And so when you start to read the psalm, what is the first verse in our Bible is actually the second verse in the Hebrew Bible. That's because those headings were very important. Those headings were an important part of uh, the story of those psalms, the background, and the history of them. As we study the psalms, as we study the life of David together, if you were to take time and read through some of the psalms, you can connect those with some of these events in David's life. And I would encourage you, as we're studying David's life together, to take some time and just read through the Psalms. David wrote about a half of the Psalms, not all of them. Uh, two of them actually are ascribed to him in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament. It says the Psalm of David, as David said. And so we see this uh, throughout uh, the book of Psalms, that Psalms of David, Psalms of other people. 
The Psalms were Israel's hymnal. We have a hymnal. This is a hymnal that is in our sanctuary, and uh, we use it for the hymn sing. We use it for a Fidelia class, a celebration hymnal, songs and hymns for worship. It's just the medium. The, the message is the music. You know, early on in the early church or in the synagogue when they would sing psalms, it was from memory. They didn't have anything written out. They didn't have scrolls. They didn't have papers. They did it from memory because they memorized the songs. Uh, later on in church history, as uh, printing became affordable and more uh, useful, uh, we ended up with psalms and books. Today we have them on video. That's the medium. Uh, we have our collection of psalms and songs that we use today. And for the Israel, for Israel, that collection was basically what we call the Book of Psalms. The Book of Psalms. They reflect so much of David's life. So I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Second Samuel chapter three. Second Samuel chapter three. And we're going to connect our message this morning with what we studied in Sunday school today on the life of David. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we pray that we might hear your words and that your words would be clear to our hearts and that we would use them to walk with you, to live with you, and to live lives pleasing to you. Can you hear me okay? Can you bring it up just a little bit, Dave, maybe? Is it possible? How's that? Is that better? I feel like when I went like that, then it's better. How's that? Okay. All right. I'll talk nice and loud. And if you can't hear it, just raise your hand, and uh, I'll try and talk louder. Okay? So, First Samuel. First uh, Samuel chapter, Second Samuel chapter 3. I did say Second Samuel, I hope. Second Samuel chapter 3. This morning in Sunday school, we uh, considered the transition from... Saul's kingship to David's kingship. And there's a, we aren't given a lot of details, but there's actually a very significant portion of time and events that take place here that we would have to just simply fill in from what we would imagine and think and the little bits we get. But if you notice in chapter 3 and verse 1, the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And then we're given the list of the sons of David. And then down on verse 6, during the war between the house of Saul and the house of David. This morning we saw that when, when David began his kingship, he was uh, centered in Hebron, uh, modern day Hebron today, which you read a lot about it's on the West Bank. It's the place where the tomb of the patriarchs are. It's a very disputed uh, location. But uh, David's David's city was down in Hebron, and that's where the center of his, his government. He was from the tribe of Judah, 12 tribes of Israel. David had the loyalty of the house of Judah, for the most part, to him. Saul was from the house of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. And so when this transition took place, after Saul and Jonathan's death, and the time that we assume David was the ruler of Israel, I just want to point out to you and remind you, there were seven years, seven and a half years it appears. Putting the chronologies together, most of the Bible uh, scholars will say there seemed to be about a seven and a half year period of war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And the house of Saul would have represented for the most part 
11 tribes. Now, there were those who filtered over time to the house of David. But to get a little um, perspective on how, how big a disparity this was and how, how delicate and dangerous this was from a human standpoint, if you go to First Chronicles chapter 12, First Chronicles chapter 12 gives us a summary of those who came eventually over to David's side and made him king. This is a summary after David has now been established as king of Israel. And uh, we looked this morning at David's transferring his uh, center of government over to Jerusalem, the city of the Jebusites. And eventually the tribes came over to him. But when they came over to him, I just want you to notice the numbers. In uh, this First Chronicles chapter 12, we have here in uh, 23, these are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David, we'll say eventually came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him as the Lord had said. Men of Judah, this is David's tribe. These are the ones that David could count on who were loyal to him. Carrying shield and spear, 6,800 armed for battle. Now I want you to notice the numbers of the other tribes of Israel that at one time were loyal to Saul for the most part. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you, if you, my Bible, the numbers just stand out. Simeon, 7,100. Levi, 4,600. Family of Aaron, 3,700. 29. Benjamin, 3,000. Verse 30. Ephraim, 20,800. Manasseh, Verse 31, 18,000. Verse 33, Zebulun, 50,000. Naphtali, verse 34, 1,000. 37,000. Verse 35, Dan, 28,600. Verse 36, 40,000. Asher, Reuben, and Gad, and half of Manasseh, 120,000. So we're looking at well over 200,000 soldiers who are allied basically at one point with Saul's kingdom versus the tribe of Judah, 6,800. So this this was a uh, an army that was vastly outnumbered. And over time, these people came to David at Hebron, and eventually the nation of Israel was turned over, if you will, to David as their king. Saul was a powerful warrior. Uh, David eulogized him when he fell in battle. He was a powerful warrior. He had won many victories for Israel. Uh, He was a leader in Israel, though faulted, and one who eventually God disposed because of his sin. But friends, I just want you to know that as we read the life of David, we might think that, well, Saul died, and there was a time of transition, and now David's at rest as king of Israel. Seven years. Years, seven and a half years of a bloody civil war between the house of Saul and the house of David before it was finally settled and David was the king over all of what we call the nation of Israel. During that time, it's interesting as we consider that, it's interesting to me that God was working through other people to bring his will to pass. It's interesting. One of the key characters in 1 Samuel 3 is Abner. Abner is the general, the main general for Saul's army. 
Ishbosheth was the was the anointed king for the for the after Saul. Abner, who was greatly offended by Ishbosheth, came over to David, and he brought with him uh, military men and loyalty to David. God was at work, just like He is in our lives. In our lives, um, we go through times in our lives where is your life ever? Is your life ever? Has it ever been, or will it ever be at a point? Where your life is just, you're finally done and everything is at peace and rest and it will never again. Are you looking forward to that point in your life? Are you? Anybody there yet? If you're breathing, <laughs> you're probably not there. That's life, isn't it? Isn't that life? Life moves uh, from one event to another, from one situation, from one relationship. And that the journey is God's will. The journey through life is God's will for us. And if we think we're ever going to get to the point where finally everything's just going to be at peace and rest, we'll have got to that point where nothing else will challenge us, that wasn't David's life. That wasn't David's life. And that's why when you read the Psalms, that's why when you read the Psalms, you find such comfort and and help in those Psalms. Because those Psalms of David are his heartfelt response to God. Sometimes at times saying, God, why? God, thank you. God, you are wonderful. God, you've made me victorious. God, I'm hiding from my enemies and I, and I don't know where I turn next. Um, God, you're beautiful. The mountains declare the glory of God. I look up to the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, right? You read those. And it isn't interesting in times in your life when, when maybe you are really going through challenges. Oftentimes it's the Psalms that really speak to your heart. Because these are songs. This is, this is poetry. It's music. As you read through the Psalms, next time you read the Psalms, pay attention to the captions. They are part of the Hebrew text. They are part of the Masoretic Hebrew text. Yes, they may be editorial notes by the, by the compiler of all the Psalms. But they are part of the Hebrew text. A psalm of David written for the instruments. A psalm of Korah written for the choir master. You know, this is something that was important. Uh, thank you for that. Wasn't that great to hear the choir today? Come on, amen? amen. That was, be- I got to hear it, I got to hear it more than once. I was here Wednesday night when they were practicing. And it was really quiet in here when they were practicing. Nobody was dropping their pennies in the offering plate. And, uh, you know, it was really quiet and I could, and I, and to, to listen, that was just so beautiful. And uh, we're going to, you know, the, the choir is alive and well, okay? And we're going to figure, where's John Shelley? We're going to figure it out here, okay? Even though we're up here, it's not quite the same setting. We, we want to hear you guys and girls. And uh, so uh, thank you so much. Because that is such an important part of God's people. It goes back to the Old Testament. These were These were written. We saw this morning how David brought the ark from Hebron, to Jerusalem, had a little accident on the way, right, with Uzzah, but eventually they got there uh, sometime later. But both times it was it was a procession of joyous music and celebration and dancing and cymbals and percussion, and and music is an important part of God's ministry and God's people. It always has been. I mean, these were professional choirs that were part of the Levitical priesthood, that were part of God's. Worship, worship that God gave his people. And David writes these psalms and reflects in his heart and he puts them to music. Oh, I wish we, I wish we had the original music. 
I wish we, you know, when you think of, sometimes when you think of Israeli uh, religious music, you think of things in a minor key, like very somber. But think of, think of Jewish folk music. Think of Palestinian folk music. It's celebration. And, and this is what David did. He wrote these psalms and these songs, and they go with his life. So read those and pay attention. God used people to bring resolution. Just as in your life, God uses people. Right now, God is working through other people. That's going to have an impact on you, on our church, on our ministry, your children, your grandchildren. God is working right now. Isn't that something to think, those of you that have children right now and young people, and you'd be thinking ahead, I wonder who they're going to marry. What's funny about that? <laughs> My kids did good. Okay. God's working. God's at work. Do you believe that? Do you believe your, your, your life is, is completely in God's hand? And there's never a second you're out of God's hand. And God is at work. And one of the things that's interesting to me, when I think of how, we think of the, the military odds of 7,000 soldiers against maybe 200,000. But God was at work. God was accomplishing his will. He used Abner. Abner died. You can read the story yourself because David's commander, Joab, murdered him. It was a blood feud because Abner had to kill Joab's brother when he didn't want to. You can read the story. But God used Abner to begin this tide of people coming over to David's side and laying down their weapons. And this passage in Second First Chronicles, where we're at, these are the numbers, verse 23, of the men who were armed for battle. They were armed for battle. These, these guys, these were, these were soldiers. You know, they, they even had, you, you read the story of David with, you know, killing Goliath, and you read the story of, of the slingshot, and you, and you think, wow, that was a lucky shot, right? <laughs> that, 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 that God guided. They had ranks of slingers. The Bible tells us in Judges, they were left-handed, they were slingers who could sling a stone like David, and from here, I could hit Dave, Dave back there between the eyes. Sorry, Dave. But I could. I mean, they were good. And there were ranks of these slingers who could do that. They were so good. These were sharp shooters. These were hard warriors. These were, these were men who were seasoned in battle with the battles with the Philistines and their neighbors. And it says in verse 23, they were, these were men who were armed for battle. But they came over to David and they began to come and they began to come. And they began to come till finally all of Israel was with David. And there's one particular group of these men that I really find fascinating. In the midst of all these numbers of 18,000, 20,000, 3,000, 50,000, and so forth, in verse 32, and I know many of you have seen this passage before, but I just want to highlight it this morning to you and consider it. Verse 32, men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their commands. Nathan, can you put that up for me, just the title one? Men of Issachar. The men of Issachar. What's interesting to me is that it, it highlights 200 chiefs. And I'm wondering if 
compared to numbers of all the other clans, and Issachar was a far away away uh, tribe, I wonder if there was a conflict. I wonder if there were others in Issachar who held out. They said, no, we're, we're not, you know, I mean, think of these tribes that were scattered. They weren't, they weren't near Bethlehem. They weren't there to see Sam. In fact, hardly anybody was there to see Samuel anoint David, only his family. That's a fascinating story, isn't it? We studied that, how, 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 how Samuel anointed David, the least of his clan, so least, his dad didn't even invite him when Samuel said, bring all your sons. It's like, oh, oh yeah, I forgot. I got one more out there in the field somewhere. Uh, bring him in. He was the least of the family, of the least of the clans of one of the smaller tribes in Israel. It's how God works. Paul tells us that, right? Paul says, look around. You can go ahead and look around. <laughs> Paul says, where, where are the prominent? Where are the wealthy? Where are the powerful? They're not here. God has chose the foolish things of this world. That's me. And that's you. That's who God called. And, and God called the least likely candidate in Israel, the young, young, young shepherd boy. David, to be shepherd, as we saw on Sunday's close morning, not, not just to be king, but to be shepherd of his people. But these other nations, these other tribes, I mean, these other tribes that were hundreds of thousands of people scattered around, they didn't hear it firsthand. They had a king, it was Saul. He had won victories for them. And now they had to make a choice. And these men of Issachar, and notice what it says about them in verse 32. First of all, these were men who understood the times. Isn't that great? They understood the times. They came to a point where they were willing to lay down their weapons against David and join him. They understood the times. They put the pieces together. They looked around, they saw what was happening, they saw Abner and the others going forward. They could have held out, some did. They could have continued this, I mean, it's not easy to give up a a war. It's not easy to be defeated. It's not easy to stop and go over to their side. But that's what they did. They were fighting. It was a war. It was a civil war. And the men of Issachar, put the pieces together. They looked at the big picture. They understood the timing. It was the right time. They understood the times they were living in. They understood the times. And secondly, they knew what Israel should do. They were convinced, we have to do this. We have to stop fighting. We have to admit David's victorious. This is what Israel should do. And this is what we need to do. They understood the times. They knew what Israel should do. And it's implied here, the important thing is, they did it, right? They did it. They went. Men of Issachar, who understood the times, they knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs, with all their relatives under their command, they came to David and they joined what God 
was doing. You know what they did? They, they put God's work first. That's not always easy, is it? You know, we, we all have our opinions. We all have our likes and dislikes. We all think we know how God's work should be done, whether it's here, in the mission field, in ministries, in colleges, where God is at work. But God's work is what matters. That's what I love about David. You know, really, when, when all is said and done, and, and, we're, and, and of course, if you could put a theme over David's life, the uh, epitaph, the, the, the final, if you were to write a note on his, you know, you go to Israel, and you, you go to David's tomb in Jerusalem. We went there, right? We went to David's tomb. And, but it's probably not David's tomb. <laughs> okay. It's the traditional site. And it's pretty universal that it's probably not really David's tomb. He's buried somewhere in the city of David, which is south of there. Um, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's the place where we, where they go to recognize him. And they come and they weep. The men on one side, the women on the other. And they come and they and they weep and they pray, because because David is still this figure in Israel's history. What is it? What is the Israeli flag has the what? The star of, star of David, David, star of David. And if we could find David's tomb, and if there was a stone from the Bible, what would be written on it? David, a man after God's own heart. Think of that. Abraham was a friend of God. These are, these are great characteristics. A man after God's own heart. Because David was a humble man. And when he was wrong, and he was wrong, and he made some huge mistakes, he eventually took full responsibility and took, he confessed it and took the blame for it. I, I love some of the stories of David, how even when, when his enemies were pelting him with rocks, and said, don't stop him, maybe God's behind this. David was a man after God's own heart. And the people came to David, and they turned over the kingship from their perspective. Why? Because God's spirit was leading his people in special ways. God was working in the heart of Abner. God was working in the heart of the men of Issachar. God was working in the heart of all these leaders who laid down their weapons and they came because it was time to do this. And I want to transition in conclusion this morning. You know, we, we often talk about knowing God's will. It's interesting. I grew up in an era where that was a big topic. Understand what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my, who am I going to marry? Well, we found out, okay? <laughs> How many kids are I going to have? Well, we know now. How many grandchildren? Well, we're not 100% maybe done, but <laughs> let's just say I'm, I've done my part to, to uh, fill the earth, okay? <laughs> what am I going to do for a career? Well, we've had that one figured out, okay? Uh but there have been things along the way I wasn't planning on. And the same with you. And we think in terms of these big issues of what is God's will for my life. And I want to suggest this morning that we need to be people, men and women of Issachar. We need to understand the times we live in. We need to know what God is doing. 
and we need to do it. And the, and the passage that, that came to mind for me was Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I, I love this passage, Ephesians chapter 5. I mean, if you're, some of you are going to be going to a marriage conference here in, in the weeks ahead, and uh, if I could give, if I ever could give any one piece of advice for families, marriages, children, parents, grandparents, verse one, be imit- I mean, how could you go wrong with this? Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us. You, you can't go wrong with that advice. You can't, if your goal, if your goal is to give yourself up for the other person and that person has the same goal, you can't go wrong. Ephesians chapter five is a, an amazing passage of scripture. But I want you to notice one particular section. And it, it comes after verse 14. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. One of my college professors put the first part of that verse and put it in the room. Wake up, old sleeper, and rise from the dead. Okay? I don't think that's what's in mind here. Verse 15. Here's what I want you to look at. Doesn't this fit with the men and, and, and women of Issachar? Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. God wants us to be people who understand the times. He says right here, he says, wake up. Wake up. The days are evil. Now listen, what? this was written in the first century. You know, we're 2,000 years past this. I think it's true, as, as many Bible commentators will note, that from the time of Christ till he returns is the last era. It's the last days. Even though it's been 2,000 years. It's, it's the last, the last times. It's, 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 it's moving toward, we, the clock has started ticking now to the return of Christ. And remember what Peter said. Those of you that scoff at this and say, oh, come on now, it's been 2,000 years. Don't forget, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a... So it's been two days, okay? It's been two days. But we are in that last era because because we know he's returning. We know there is an end in sight. And we know that, that in that sense, time is limited. And, and Paul says, make, make the most of every opportunity because the, the days are evil. Understand, understand the times. Your life, your life is important. You matter. God is, I mean, think of this. We, we saw this morning how David says, Lord, why, why, is this how you always deal with people? Are you always this generous? Are you always this good to people? Why have you chosen me? And why have you made this promise, this unconditional promise that there will always be a king on the throne of Israel from my family, even if they, even if they sin like Saul? Why, why, is this what, why are you like this? And God has called you. The Bible uses these words chosen and calling over and over again in the epistles. 
Why? Why you? Why me? Why this church? Why this church? We've been, we've been working on some of the sound and, and, uh, video. And I appreciate so much the guys that have been here these last weeks putting in hours and hours. Ron Johnson has been climbing up in the rafters for the video. Larry and Dave have been, have been di- uh, helping us and get, telling us what to do and helping us accomplish the video and the sound. Larry did this 51 years ago. And he said a couple of times had to admit, I'm not, it's been 51 years. I'm not sure where that wire was heading. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said, that's okay. All right. 51 years. He did that 51 years ago and we're doing it again. And, and we've been out since start naming names because there are several here have been helping that uh, Alan and, and, uh, and, and Steve and, uh, you know, we've, they've been here working. And, 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 and Craig has been, Craig has been talking about babying and shepherding a project as an architect. I mean, these, these people are, this is, why has God put us here? We are doing this for the next 50 years. It's not extravagant. It's, it's, a, it's something to enhance our ministry. The reason why you all stay here so long and why our coffee gets drained before it normally does, right, Julie? She's having to make more coffee. And because it's gone, because you like being in a space where you can do that, that's what we're doing over there. We're going to take away the pinch points. We're going to take away the place where you have to try and get by people. You can come and see tonight. This, this is God's work. You believe that? There are people all over this world. We, I'm, I'm sorry we couldn't hear the sound with those pictures today because those were our missionaries in Southeast Asia. There are people all over this world today, yesterday, because of time zones. Their lives are being changed because humbly God has allowed us to be a part of that ministry. It reaches out. And God wants us to be people of Issachar. He, what does he say here? Make, make the most use of your time. Therefore, do not be foolish. And I want, I want us to close with this. But understand what the Lord's will is. We talked some weeks ago when I had the video of the robots, remember? Trying to walk. We talk about this word that Paul uses to walk. In chapter 4, verse 1, walk in unity. Chapter 4, verse 17, walk in holiness. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, walk in love. Chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, walk in the light. And here in 15, walk circumspectly. Walk in wisdom. Be wise. Pay attention. Wake up to what God is doing. God is at work. He's using Abner's. He's using Issachar's. He's using people. He's using you. He's using people you don't even know of to, to help bring us all to accomplish. And here's the point. Here's the point, friends. This is what's important. We always talk about what's, what is God's will for my life. You know why? Because I'm selfish. That's what matters more than anything else is me. I'll be, that's me. That's my human condition. But God says, Paul tells us, what's God's desires. We need to think about not so much what's God's 
will for me? What are God's desires? What does God desire? What does God love? Truth, justice, mercy, compassion, generosity. This is God's desire. And and Paul says here, understand what the Lord's desires, Thelma, Thelma, what God's desires are. And you know what? It's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. You don't need someone to write you a book to tell you how to find God's will for your life. You need to read the book. You already have it. Look what he says. After he says this, he goes right in. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. The idea, think, think of, this, of the state of somebody who's drunk with wine and, and their life is under that control. He says, no, let your life be under control of the Holy Spirit. And how does this manifest itself? How does, it, how does the Holy Spirit's filling manifest itself to our lives? Look what he says here. Speak to one another with what? Psalms, hymns, spiritual song. This is God's will. This is God's desire. It's not that complicated. Be like David. The reason we have all these psalms from David, because that was his life. His life was always singing praise and, and talking to God. And, he, and, it's, and, and Paul says here, here's what you do. Be filled with the Spirit, and it will show itself. As we, as we get together and we sing to one another, psalms, hymns, spirit. And then look at, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. When you're by yourself, when you're driving your car. When you're painting, when you're hammering a nail, when you're working on your computer, when you're watching the children, when you're talking to your neighbors, when you're working for a test for school, whatever it is, be singing to God in your hearts. Give thanks to God. Is is this complicated? What is God's desire? Give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not complicated. If I want to do God's will, I'm going to put you first. And if you want to do God's will, you'll put me and others first. But you need to start with the people closest to you. I'm not going to do it for you, and you don't need to do it for me if I can't do it to the people I live with. Right? That's God's desire. It's not complicated. And the men of Issachar, they figured it out. They figured it out. We see what's going on. And we see what God is doing. And I think it's time for us to join him. I think we'll join him. And we're going to lay down our weapons and let's go to Hebron. Let's go to Hebron. And they went to Hebron and helped David accomplish God's will. Listen, if, this, if you knew for sure, if you knew for sure that this was your last day of life, we don't know, do we? If you knew for sure this was your last day of life, and you were going to write a psalm to God, and you were going to write a psalm that captured your life, What would you write? 
What would you write? You know, I want to encourage you. Take a few minutes today. Read Psalm 18. It's a long one. But if you read Psalm 18, and then if you look at Samuel, and you read Samuel toward the end of David's life, go to the very end of David's life, and you'll find out that was David's farewell. Because the psalm was almost word for word just before David died. What would your psalm be like? What would your psalm be like if October, September 30th were your last day? What would we read? Let's close our service. Come up here and smell the roses, Faith. (laughs) I couldn't even see you. You're behind the TV over here. We want to see you. Come over here and we can see you. Smell these beautiful roses. And let's celebrate. Let's celebrate like David celebrated God's goodness, God's love, and God's blessing. Yeah, amen. (laughs) They are real. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray together. And as I do so, Psalm of David, I love you. O Lord, my strength, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. And he ends this psalm. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Amen. Thank you for coming today. Enjoy some time of fellowship.